0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the book of Acts. You may be seated. We begin today with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are here needing help. Lord, we need help knowing that your salvation is for us. We need to constantly be reminded of this. And yet, Lord, we also live in a world. That has rejected this message or does not know this message, and they need your help as well. And so, Lord, today we pray that you would empower us and enliven us and strengthen us to go forth proclaiming this good news to a world in need of your salvation. Lord, I pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start off with a question today, and you don't need to answer this out loud, but just think to yourself about this question question if i were to ask you well not if i were to ask you i'm going to ask you uh, do you think it is easy or hard to practice your faith or to share your faith in america do you think it's easy or hard do you think it's easy or hard to practice or share your faith in california in escondido or valley center or san marcos or wherever it is you live Do you think it's easy or hard to share and practice your faith at work, at home, with your family, or with your friends? Do you think it is easy or hard in your life, in your context, to share and to practice your faith? Well, when it comes to the question of, is it easy to do this in America, I think generally we would say something like this, yeah, it is easy to practice and share our faith in America. After all, we live in a country where we have the freedom to worship without the fear of the government coming in and shutting us down, and this is a very good thing, and it's one of the things we're certainly celebrating uh, this weekend. And yet at the same time, I imagine many of us here today could uh, bring out a whole bunch of statistics demonstrating the fact that this freedom we have to worship as we please doesn't really translate into the growth of the church, does it? As we all know, fewer and fewer people in this country who are free to practice their faith are doing it. Do you know the largest growing religious demographic in our country right now, do you know what it is? It is the group called the nuns. And by nuns, I don't mean uh, a bunch of women running down to the convent to join the Roman Catholic nunnery. That's not what we're talking about here. What I'm talking about is that little thing whenever you fill out a form and they're asking you for sort of uh, demographic information, they ask you, what is your religious affiliation? More often than not in our country now, people are checking the box that says none, N-O-N-E. Often in uh, sort of religious leadership circles, they're talking about the rise of the nuns, which sounds like a sci-fi movie, but it's not. Uh, it's talking about the religious situation in our country. And this has really got me thinking, uh, especially this past week. I was reading a book by a, a pastor. I believe he was the chaplain at Duke University. His name was William Willemann. And he recounts a time when he was talking to a pastor from East Germany who had suffered greatly beneath the communist regime over there for for practicing his faith and he was in very much an admiration of this pastor but this pastor sort of tried to to settle him down a little bit and this is what he said and i think this is a very fascinating quote he said it's tough here but sometimes that's good for the church see there are more people in church on sunday in east germany than west germany despite there being many more people there than here. The way I see it, he says, our government hates the church, but because the government is incompetent, it can't destroy the church. The West German government says it doesn't care whether they are Christians or not, and has thereby succeeded in destroying the church. It's fascinating. Now, I'm not bringing this up this morning to say, you know what we could really use here in America? Some good old persecution. I'm certainly not saying that. If you've seen the stories of what's going on uh, over in uh, in, uh, Iraq uh, this last week, things are very bad under the persecution over there. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ who are suffering greatly. I'm also not bringing this up uh, just to scare you about uh, sort of the decline of the church in America or something like this, but I do want you to think about this question this morning. How are we to respond to things like this? How are we to, as the church, to respond when we live in a world, when we live in a context where we're told that people are free to ignore their God? They are free to leave their church. Often, I think, when we hear things like this, uh, the church's response is one of fear. We see the demographic, we see the numbers, we see the statistics, we hear about persecution, and suddenly the church gets very afraid, and we react in fear. And very often, the way we deal with this fear is we try and counter it. What we tend to do here in the church in America is we start to think in terms of business, and we start to aim for our share of the market. We figure if people are leaving, what we need to do is we need to adjust who we are as the church. We need to adjust the way we do things. We need to adjust our message so that maybe people will find us a little more attractive and they'll show up on Sunday morning rather than sleep in. But the reality is that we start thinking this way. We only make matters worse. When the church starts to put, shall we say, the customer on the throne, we tend to kick Jesus off of it. And when we adjust the message to draw more people in, we really water down the faith altogether, if not lose it. The great church historian H. Richard Niebuhr said, when the church begins to adjust to the culture, what ends up happening is this. They preach about a God without wrath, who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. In other words, the church ceases to be Christianity. Because we're letting our fear drive us. But I think that perhaps the reason we have this fear in in this context we're in, we have this fear because we've forgotten who we are as the church. We've forgotten whose we are as the church. We've forgotten that we're not some cultural institution that needs to be saved for the sake of Western society. No. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, dear saints, you are the body of Jesus Christ, the risen King. You belong to the God of all creation who chose to save you from eternal death and from the power of the devil through the death and resurrection of his Son. You are a people baptized into a new creation free from the fear of death and hell. You are a people who belong to the risen, ruling, and reigning king who died to forgive you for his own sake. You have been bought with his blood. And through the water of baptism, you have been brought from death to life. And you have a king who rules and reigns over you with hope and joy and with love. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. and We have nothing to fear. But we're just so full of fear that we begin to act defensive We begin to think that somehow the world has an upper hand on this god or on this kingdom, which it absolutely does not The reality is the world is the one losing the world is the one bound to sin The world is the one bound for hell apart from jesus christ And you and I alone have the message that brings life and hope and salvation This is the idea, this is the truth, this is the promise that drove the early church. If you think about our reading from the book of Acts today, you'll see that Paul here does not operate from a place of fear. But he operates from the position that he belongs to Jesus Christ. Paul knew that Jesus was Lord Paul knew that Jesus had risen from the dead Paul knew that this world was bound rebelliously to hell and to sin and Paul knew that the only thing that could save this world was the message of Jesus Christ the promise of forgiveness and resurrection and hope and so one night when he's uh trying to figure out where he's going next to do his ministry he has a vision from a man in a place called Macedonia And in that vision, the Macedonian man simply says, help us. And upon hearing this, Paul didn't sit back and start saying, now how do I adjust my message to appeal to the Macedonian culture? No! He got up and he brought his team with him and he went. Acts says, when Paul had seen the vision immediately, he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And it's not as though he was going into this sort of hub of conservative Christianity just waiting for some good news about Jesus. By the time when he gets there, he arrives in a place that really doesn't have much regard as far as we can tell um, for anyone who has faith in the God of the scriptures. Paul's practice when he would go to a new city would always be to go to the synagogue. And start preaching there. And from there he would set up shop and begin to preach uh, throughout the community. But here in Macedonia, in Philippi specifically, it apparently has no synagogue. They have no regard for the people of God. And so Paul would go down to the river because in towns where there was no synagogue, people would gather by a place of water and that's where they would worship. So when Paul and his team get to Philippi in Macedonia, they go to the riverside on the Sabbath and there they begin to preach the good news. And they preached the good news there in a culture that was perhaps unkind to the message that they brought. But if you think about it for a second, that doesn't really matter to Paul. That is, the culture's attitude. The culture's attitude towards what Paul had to say didn't have really anything to do with what he said. I mean, I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I don't really understand or know the religious circumstances in Philippi at the time. I'm not sure whether they were friendly or antagonistic or even ambivalent towards the believers of the God of the Scriptures. Though as we would see if we were to read a little further, they're certainly not friendly to Paul because they throw him in jail uh, pretty quickly. But again, it doesn't matter. What matters is that regardless of the context, the people needed help. The people needed salvation. The people needed forgiveness and healing and hope. They needed the gospel to be proclaimed into their ears and to their hearts so that they might have the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ alone regardless of whether they would welcome, reject, or ignore the Jesus Paul brought, Paul still brought Jesus. He would not relent from delivering Jesus Christ to those people. Now you and I need no vision from heaven to tell you where to bring the good news. You simply need to look around you. For everyone you know, everyone God has given you, is bound to something, uh, is bound to some sort of sin, to some sort of struggle, to some sort of fear, to some sort of anxiety. Everyone you know is bound apart. if, If you know people apart from Christ, and this is the harsh reality, those people are in fact bound for hell. And you have a message that can save them. They are the people who need help, and you have the very thing that can help them. You have Jesus the Christ. You have the words given to you that bring eternal life. And what words are those? You know them. The words that say this. This world is falling apart in sin. We all know it. Your life is affected by sin, and sometimes the sin that's causing this world to fall apart comes from your own hands. But God is not content to let the world fall apart into sin. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And Jesus rose again on the third day to give you forgiveness and the hope of everlasting life. That's the message we have to bring. We have the story of Jesus to tell the world. And it's that story that delivers salvation. So Paul goes out to the riverside to pray and he comes across a number of folks worshiping there. In a world where all you hear, I love this story because in a world where all we hear is accounts of people leaving the church and the rise of the nuns and the persecution and the struggling, all we hear is these negative stories and so often we forget to look back in the scriptures to see, oh wait, God's word still does its job. God's word is still saving and rescuing people. And so Paul goes and he preaches and a miracle happens in that context. A miracle takes place. People hear and they believe. Specifically, a woman named Lydia hears the good news and she is baptized. And soon she brings her whole family with her and the whole team is baptized. And though perhaps the religious demographics of Macedonia didn't change all that much on that morning, the Lord Jesus found another sheep. The Lord Jesus rescued another sheep and brought another sheep into his fold. And in that moment, the word of the Lord continued to grow. You guys, we live in a world where people are told they are free to ignore God. Where they are told they are free to reject the worship of this God. And this quote-unquote freedom is the most deadly sort of bondage. Because what they're being told is they are free to run on into hell, and that is bondage. And as intimidating as it might seem for you to have to tell them about this, as hard as it might be for you to have to tell them about the truth of this, the reality is you have the one message that can save them. You have hope and forgiveness to be delivered to them from their God who sent his son to die and rise for their salvation just as he died and rose for your salvation. The freedom that people have in our world right now has led them to the bondage of fear, to hopelessness, to anxiety, to uncertainty, to guilt, and to confusion. If you look at the mental state of our country right now, people are not just comfortable and happy with everything. Anxiety is through the roof. And the ground of existence that we have is tremendously shaky in the minds of many. And so people are crying out, Help us! Help us! And that help comes from Jesus the Christ, the forgiver and the savior. He brings hope and healing. And you know he does. For he has risen and he's done it for you. He's brought you that hope and that healing when he baptized you and made you his own. And now he's given you this message that brings eternal life that he wants you to give to others. So this week I want to challenge you. We talk around here about caring for everybody that God gives you. That care begins with prayer. I want you to pray for those people in your life that you need to talk to about the Lord. I want you to pray for those people in your life that need to hear the good news and need the salvation. And I want you to pray for the opportunities to share this good news with them. And you might say to yourself, well, it would take a miracle for those people to believe. Well, that's exactly right. And that was what happened with Lydia. It was a miracle that day that she received that salvation. The fact that you are here and you believe, that is a miracle. But the Holy Spirit, you see, always puts himself in his word to perform miracles and to create faith. He's a powerful Holy Spirit. So fear not, church, but preach, confess, repent, and believe the good news. Jesus Christ has forgiven them Just as Jesus Christ has forgiven you, He is glad to save. So that given our context, whether it's easy or hard, whether you are welcomed or ignored, you have Jesus. Therefore, you have nothing to fear. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, forgive us for our fear. Forgive us for thinking that somehow this world or this culture as the upper hand on the church. Lord, forgive us for the sake of Christ and now make us bold to share this good news. Help us to know that our sins are forgiven and that the hope that we have is for everyone so that we might boldly proclaim it into the ears and hearts of those who need to hear it. We ask this all in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.